Welcome to the Disruptive Mindset Podcast, where we embark on a journey in our mini-series titled Beyond Labels, Unleashing the Power of Diverse Minds. I'm Emma, your host, and as a co-founder and CEO of Disruptive Hiring, I'm passionate about exploring the potential of diverse talent. Throughout this series, we'll delve into critical topics such as next generation and neurodiversity, evolving values, and the impact of technology on the way we work. And I'm joined by Carmen Jones, who's going to introduce herself. Hi, everyone. I'm Carmen Jones, your co-host, a principal consultant at Wipro specialising in talent and change. What a great opportunity this podcast has been. Understanding the unique strengths of the next generation, diversity, and how values have evolved. Conversations have been inspiring and what great fun it's been speaking with all the dynamic individuals. Welcome to an insightful episode of our podcast, where we explore the dynamic world of Marina Bereshu, an exceptional COO with expertise in Web3 marketing and design. As an international speaker and a representative of Generation Z, Marina brings a fresh perspective to the table, currently driving success in LKI Consulting, Join us to uncover her strategies and leadership insights in managing and inspiring the next generation team and learn how she navigates the ever-changing landscape of the digital era. Welcome and let's jump straight into questions. I'd first of all like to say thank you so much for uh, coming and joining us on this uh, Disruptive Mindset podcast. And the first question I've got for you, uh, Marina, is can you share with us an overview of you and the, and your role at LK, LKI Consulting and how you got into the COO role? Sure. So first of all, thank you for having me here as well. Uh, my name is Marina Barshva and I'm the CEO of LKI Consulting, which is an award-winning Web3 and marketing agency. Uh, before I got into the CEO role, I ran the content department for one of the biggest Lithuanian startups in the Baltics. I joined when it was only 30 people, and then I stayed all the way when it was 300. We raised uh, 30 mil in the Series A. But after exploring the world of tech and B2B in general, I wanted to dig deeper into emerging industries, into uh, deep tech, and that's how I found myself interested in uh, crypto Web3, it was uh, the time when the bull run was at its best, when a lot of interesting projects were coming in into the space. And I thought if I'm to start um, a new career, if I'm to shift my focus, I want to shift it in an industry that is dictating the future. The decentralization was uh, a big word, uh, the unbanking and so on. So I wanted to be a part of the industry that would be solving major um, problems on the social level, on the economical level, on the financial level, and all sort of levels. And now when I um, met our founder and CEO, Laura, we had very interesting discussions about the role of crypto overall, about how um, the agency that specializes in Web3 can help so many projects come on board, um, attract users, and bring the idea of crypto to the masses. I get super excited. So now I get to oversee uh, the day-to-day -day operations, making sure our clients are happy. And also I get to hire and mentor the team, which for me is probably one of the most exciting parts of what I do. Brilliant. 
I think that's fantastic. And I think the fact that you've made a mental decision, you know, earlier on in your career that you wanted to move into a role where the industry was dictating the future. I think that's such great foresight and thinking and planning. It's you've gone in with a plan, which um, <laughs> I love that. Because so yeah. many people don't. Um, I think that's brilliant. Um, so Marina, I just, could you talk to me a bit more about kind of Gen Z? So I, I, you are the next generation leader, you are a generation Z, and I would like to understand your views on kind of how you think Generation Z differ from previous generations in terms of their work and expectations? Sure. So I think um, before we start that conversation on generation, it's very interesting how uh, different nationalities and different locations have different splits of um, understanding the generations. For example, I grew up in um, Ukraine, which is part of Eastern Europe. And for us, the millennials and Gen Zs came a little bit later than for the rest of the world. So growing up, I would associate myself and I would relate um, in my personality and what I would expect from a job much more to a millennial. For example, I was always looking for this feeling of um, purpose, connection to a bigger goal within the company, which is more of a millennial trait. Uh, but now, as I transition more in the Western European um, workforce, we are working with a lot of um, European North American clients, I see how that split really um, differs. So when I'm paying attention, uh, Gen Z's grew up already having technology. So they're the most proficient tech generation, um, hands down. They have a different way of thinking and generating ideas because they grew up uh, surrounded by so many um, technology, so much media, and they were always immersed in this creative world. Also, if I'm looking at um, their career prospects, they want to advance quickly. They want to go um, super fast. And sometimes that becomes um, an obstacle when people want to jump through hopes and uh, grow really fast. And sometimes it's a big value added because people are ready to uh, go an extra mile uh, to really achieve their goals. What I also like is that Gen Z prefer autonomy. They can uh, be self-starters. They can generate their own ideas, which leads to creativity and also this feeling of ownership, which is really important for us. Uh, they can be a bit on more like rebellious side. They have this feeling of social justice, corporate structures mm -hmm. um, tire them and they don't want to be uh, within the restrictions. So setting boundaries uh, early on is an important thing. But where they really shine is in making own decisions, setting the goals. Um, when many companies would go ahead and they would present um, you the KPIs that you need to achieve, Gen Zs can take a step back and come to me with their goals and how they're going to reach them. They have like more control over their work and also more accountability for what they do. And I think that that accountability also uh, translates in the space that we create for them. They need to have a space where they can express their opinion, where they can disagree as well, which is very healthy. So we're moving away from the workspace where there was this hierarchy, my boss said to do it, and I don't have a say in um, how and when and why. Now, many agencies, I'm not going to say most of them, have that, that freedom and the opportunity to express themselves because they grew up seeing so many inspirational figures in 
um, social media and um, movies and so on. And if millennials also grew up with TV, the actors, the uh, characters, they all seemed so unreachable. But when you see people in social media, you relate to them much more. So Gen Zs have this drive and a little bit more inner confidence to get things sorted, which for me is um, a nice benefit. I think that I think that's a really, really interesting perspective. So, you know, I'm at the other end of the scale, you know, where I'm I'm sort of, you know, I'm not even a millennial. <laughs> you know, we've, we've moved out of that space a long time ago. So I think it's really interesting to get um, your perspective on that. And I, and I couldn't agree with you more. You know, it's really interesting. So from a from a from a talent point of view, um, what what are the top challenges then you think companies because you've got companies that are really you know they're, they're old aren't they you know if we look at our market in it you've got obviously new generation companies but you've also got some older you know companies in that you know that have got older workforces if you like um what what are the challenges that companies have um in attracting and retaining sort of employees of this sort of demographic yes i think um one of the biggest challenges has to do with people's uh, developed impatience. It's um, quite difficult right now to capture the attention of the Gen Z. They get bombarded with so many different messages online. Uh, like be your own boss. You can be a freelancer. You can uh, only work a few hours, which all are great messages. But then the perspective of working and being a part of the team gets um, really disturbed. Another thing comes with. Um, people's emotional resilience and their big focus on mental health right now. So if you want to retain uh, younger employees, you need to invest early on in their mindset, in the way they um, approach stress, in the way they take care of themselves. I'll give an um, example. One of the first things that I do within my uh, onboarding period, first two weeks, I make a new employee tell me what their hobby is and when are they going to be practicing this hobby. This is very easy to come in the new job, get um, head down into the new work and forget about taking care of yourself. But then three months in, people get burnt out, they get really unhappy and they leave. And during this onboarding period of three months, every company invests their resources. They also build some hopes for uh, all the new team members that they come in, but they forget about this small thing of just reminding people and empowering them to take care of themselves. I think that retention rate would be much higher if companies did remember them. I, I, I actually I couldn't agree with you more. And I and I I don't know many companies that actually ask that, but it absolutely needs to be on the agenda <laughs> for sure. Yeah. Um I think when it comes to attracting people, uh I personally moved away from the traditional format of interview one. There is one person just asking question, uh questions on the applicant has to go fully and respond to the questions. And it feels a little bit forced. So now I moved more into having a conversation, telling some of our stories, how we do things, sharing experience. So it feels more authentic and transparent. Mm -hmm. And then I dig deeper into the person's motivation. And if we see that the candidate is amazing, their skills are there, they have the attitude, but we are not the environment that will work for them long-term. We're very honest in offering them alternative options like being freelancers with us or considering another role because I see absolutely no point in attracting talent that will not be retained long term. Yeah, couldn't agree with that. That's, 
I think that's fantastic. And that culture kind of side of things um, is so important. It's almost like culture kind of interviews and culture fits. You know, you can, um, it's like fitting like a, uh, is it a square, a square plug into a round hole? You know, you can, it just won't work long term. Um, and I think that kind of makes me think a bit more around kind of values. So kind of culture values are very, very similar. And what do you think organizations can do to kind of better resonate with the next generation, um, generation's values? I think number one thing is being very honest about who you are and who you're not. Uh, lately, we've seen so many companies trying to recreate culture with perks that you need to understand that like organizing a pizza party is not a culture, but who you are and how you communicate with your clients, um, with people one-on-one, -on -one, with people on um, team meetings, it all adds up to this one coherent whole. You cannot be one person outside of the company and one person inside the company. And also many recruiters, many senior hiring managers, they forget about this one truth. You need to like the people who you work with. Because sometimes <laughs> we tend to make this decision. The fit is great. It's there, but something just doesn't click. If it doesn't click, it doesn't matter how long you're going to try to force it on. It won't work. People need to click with each other and have the synergy to have a conversation, to trust each other, to go a little bit further than these transactional relationships in the workforce. So as clickbait, as cheesy as it sounds, this authenticity is one of the ways how, um, how we can resonate better with Gen Z's because they are very clear about who they are and they don't pretend like they want to be someone else. I think that's really interesting. So what I'm hearing there, correct me if I'm wrong, is it's, it's, it's about behaviours, it's about likability, and it's about their values. And all of those three things, if you sort of draw them, have to, have to all come together. Yeah, like likability, click, net fit. You know, when you meet a person and there is a spark between, yeah. and that spark will act as a drive for your organisation regardless of what you do to move forward when people get stressed out, when they burn, when there are some issues in the business. But then you come back and you have each other because you really fit as personalities and you can take a step back, put the plan together and pull through. Yeah, really interesting. That, yeah, that really is. And I, I love all those kind of values you've just come out there, kind of about honesty and trust and likability. It's almost like a community as well, which is so... And belonging, actually. I think you also talked um, earlier about kind of uh, millennials and kind of around the kind of your culture. They also felt like they had to belong, be part of the goal, be part of the purpose. So there's clearly some kind of crossover there between the generations, which you're, which you've called out. What about management style? So how best do you kind of manage Generation Z? Like, what are the best kind of techniques and styles you've seen? I think, honestly, there is no one size fits all. On the one hand, uh, I tend to go more into the coaching style. I try to answer as few questions as possible for the employees and encourage them to think and to get the solution on their own. We have an agreement that they can come with a few solutions to me and I will help them pick the best one, but I'm not here to, to be a lecturer, to be a teacher for them. Uh, it's more of my job to mentor them on how to reach uh, the solutions on their own. 
Then a big part comes to uh, not micromanage people. I made this mistake on my own and maybe uh, some younger um, execs will also relate uh, to this. You take a job early on, you feel a great responsibility and the pressure to deliver. And then you see that other people in your team are about to make mistakes. So the natural instinct is to run and save them, to prevent the mistake, to help them from not falling. But the more you prevent this, the less people learn. So sometimes right now I know that there will be, there will be a failure, but I let people fail in this controlled environment when they're learning and derive the lessons on their own. That's one of the important parts that some managers forget. They forgot how they were learning and how many times they failed, what challenges they went through, and they assume that people who they're going to onboard will automatically just know things. How did you get such a wise head on your shoulders? Um, yeah, you've, you've got this um, real coaching approach, actually, which I which I, I love. I mean, so talking talking about the coaching, and I can I can hear that. Um, where did you learn your coaching your coaching philosophies from? Yeah, so uh, that's a great question. A few years ago, I felt really stuck in my personal development. I did have a great job, like run the whole department, different people, but it didn't feel like it fulfilled me. So I went to coach myself. And that was a great breakthrough for me personally in how I started approaching myself, my personality, my work. And then um, once I switched to BSEO, my founder um, took that coaching approach with me as well. And we don't have these more traditional one-on-ones that are focused only on the results. She takes a lot of time to talk to me through all my uh, concerns, fears, and she takes the same coaching approach. So I have a good role model myself that I can uh, translate to my people. And now they get an opportunity to hire their own team because I don't want to hire people for them and let them kind of inherit those people. Um, So they slowly start introducing the same values and the same approaches in their leadership, which means that um, it's working. So that's a very um, satisfying thing for me. Yeah, it, it really must be. So, I mean, that comes down to sort of um, the mentoring bit, doesn't it? You know, and, and having, I, I think if you can work with people that are, are good leaders, but if you don't have somebody in your organization that you can sort of get that from, then it's about finding that, I think, externally, um, you know, and, and I think it's such a powerful, um, I mean, I know, Carmen, you, you've had a, a coach in your life for a long time, haven't you? I mean, it's made a big impact um, with you and your career, hasn't it? Oh, 100%. It means that I have, um, I've had a plan. And I think, uh, Marina, I mentioned that at the very beginning, it's you go in and you kind of know where you are, where you potentially want to go. And I think one of the biggest things that I've learned um, is to be one. So there's not a work me and there's not a personal me. It's like, it's how to just, there's only one of me. Um, And I think that's one thing very hard to learn when you're younger. Um, So it's, I've learned that through coaching is how to have the same persona in both areas. Um, So no, it's, it's been invaluable. Yeah. And, and, and also I think to look after yourself as well, Mm -hmm. you know, because there's an element of work that will, you know, drive you quite hard, you know, if you let it. So it's it's, it's what, going back to what you said, Marina, it's, it's, you know, with that Gen Z, it's having those boundaries in, you know, saying no, you know, it's sort of like, what are you doing with your hobby? Mm. You know, 
really important. So I've got to dive into, because this is another really impressive thing about you, is um, public speaking, right? So it's something that I've... Um, you know, it's something that I would always aspire to do, but never quite got there in myself. So what are, what are your tips uh, to get onto the public speaking circuit, be an effective communicator, um, you know, and, and, and can you share some ideas and, and how you got so confident at it? I think there are a lot of um, coaches who are more skilled about the, who are more skilled to talk about the mechanics of public speaking than I am. But from my perspective, the one thing that you always need to have is one story that you're telling people. The way you get recognized and remembered by your audience, because if you go like conference to conference, podcast to podcast, you'll see that the audience starts repeating because more or less I operate in quite a small but growing industry. Uh, you need to know the one thing that you want your audience to take away and remember you with. And this remembrance factor is very important. So some people wear only white sneakers or turtlenecks or um, they take a particular nail color. For example, when I uh, do my speeches, I like to wear red. And that is something that some people are paying attention to. Mm. Uh, and when you have a clear narrative that you're communicating and the small sign a small piece that the audience can remember you by you create associations in people's brain and they stay much longer than just your speech mm. that's one thing mm. another one of course comes from the non-tangible things you cannot talk about things that you don't believe in it doesn't matter how much you rehearse them how much you're gonna um, invest in the script it needs to come from the heart because the audience is not stupid and sometimes public speakers forget about this fact we are talking to people who come to listen to you with an open heart they have a purpose or otherwise they would have gone and consumed any other millions different contents around the world so when you communicate you need to have the confidence, the energy, and the openness for the audience to perceive you, and then also leave this um, feeling that they can reach out to you. I've had people who texted me with some questions afterwards who just wanted to ask, you know, what's the book that you're reading right now? What are some tips that you can uh, recommend me? And then it's about continuing that conversation to feel that you're not just a speaking face, but you're a real person who is happy to engage, who's happy to interact, and that's how you build your um, speaking credibility as well. Yeah, okay, really interesting. Um, I think there's some great tips there, actually. So I want to dive into your the, the rising of Web3. So this is the, the crux of what sort of, you know, you, you do within, within your consultancy. Um, and the role and how it's sort of shaping, shaping the future um, of the internet. And what are the key opportunities and challenges within this sort of Web3 um, area? So the big focus right now is uh, on the interaction and then the behavioral actions of people who are moving away from the world where advertisement used to be one way you get bombarded with ads. And if you show a sign of weakness and click on one of those ads, you're gonna be sent many more. Um, so some people argue that that's um, one way of exploiting people's interests and uh, Web3 tries to change that. 
they're giving you your privacy back, your confidentiality. They give you the right to make conscious decisions about the type of content you want to consume. And many of these things are still ideas phase. They're not yet developed. They're not implemented, but they keep um, marketeers as those who are going to execute it. And also millions of people very excited about that. Mm. Of course, there is also a big space um, to talk about finances, about the way um, the macroeconomy is impacting the way we spend, save, accumulate money, invest, and so on. Um, so DeFi protocols, uh, anything that has to do with uh, decentralized money is going to be a big topic of conversation. Gen Zs are now becoming more and more educated about the value of money, um, the meaning of inflation. They understand the market cycles better. Mm -hmm. So they want to take ownership of their financial future much earlier on. They're more debt aware. They're more um, knowledgeable about retirement. So in comparison to previous generations, they're looking for alternative ways uh, to handle their finances. And Web3 offers just that. Um, and again, a lot of these things are still under development. So we're not living in the ideal world where there is a bad alternative or a negative um, alternative and Web3 that is just this magical savior who's going to come and solve it all. It is not like this, unfortunately, but there is a lot of potential for uh, improving some of the um, issues on the global scale, which I'm uh, also very excited about personally. Yeah, so it's almost like watch this space, you know, and it's evolving so quickly, isn't it? You know, it's all moving at a rate of knots at the moment. So, you know, in a year's time, I'm sure we'd be having a really different conversation about, you know, okay, this is what's been developed, this is what's working, <laughs> etc. Yeah, really, really, really exciting. Yeah, definitely. And then I'm actually quite surprised by that comment there where you say that Jen said is more aware of kind of their financial state in terms of uh, retirement planning or kind of investments and debt and stuff that's um I'm quite surprised by that it's, it's good to hear actually really good to hear would you disagree it's not something I, I don't know if I formed an opinion on it because I don't know whether I have I haven't worked enough or kind of socialized enough so I, I haven't had those conversations but I'm surprised to hear it because I don't think I wasn't aware of it until I was a bit later on in life. Um, so it's it's good to hear, uh, definitely. I think just a good example on that is uh, the percentage of Americans who used to go to college decreased uh, in the agencies because they don't see a point of taking out big college loans and having to repay them years and years after. And that as a concept finally starts um, to be taught at schools where the whole concept of financial literacy was not communicated early on to kids. There would be some classes in economics, but when you're looking at how the free market works, you do not think about your own wallet. So when principles of economics get taken out of the big context and put into your like, individual perception, you start approaching your money much, much wiser. And I think that's a progress for all of us. I think it's great. I think it should be taught in schools. I genuinely yeah. do. I think I think you need to start early with money management, understanding how it works, inflation, you know, and it's not actually, I, I, I well, 
not that I'm aware of taught in schools, but it should absolutely be taught a lot, uh, a lot um, sooner than it is, for sure. I completely agree. Yeah. I think that um, makes me kind of think about what advice you'd give your your 18 year old self now. So if you could go back there, what would you, what advice would you give yourself? Get a mentor as soon as possible. And uh, come to terms uh, that you'll have to sacrifice some things. Just pick what you want to sacrifice. Because a lot of our dissatisfaction with life and this chaos and inability to settle comes from the fact that we don't accept reality. And we tell ourselves that we want one thing, but then we do actions that suggest otherwise. And many people like want it all, but they need to understand that there is only 24 hours and there is also only one you. So you need to know very clearly what are you planning to achieve this year and what are you going to sacrifice to get it done. And there is this beautiful term used right now called um, planned failure. When you plan your year, you plan all the things you want to do, but you also pencil in a thing that you're planning to fail. If you have the time and the opportunity, you are going to work on it. But if not, you're not going to beat yourself over doing it. And when I was 18, I wanted to do it all. And sometimes it meant like staying till 4 a.m. and trying to um, multitask on many things. But now I took a step back and I'm taking care of uh, prioritizing things a bit better. I, I think that's amazing advice again from someone so young you know what I mean it's, <laughs> uh, do you know what it's so true isn't it we set ourselves out these huge you know these huge goals and it's um and it's like you know we all get stressed because we can't get there you know and I actually really like that I really like that good I'm taking that away thank you <laughs> so I you know that works <laughs> yeah thank you so much oh but listen I've got my final question for you what is the one question I haven't asked you, you wish I had asked you, and how would you have answered it? That's great. I think one of the questions I'd like to answer um, comes from many young people who I get to talk to. How do I get a job in Web3? We don't get this taught at school I don't know about it I don't know what to do with it what do I do and what I want people to understand is that web3 jobs are very much different from um, the applications that you're going to be filling in for startup corporate environment for any other environment non-for-profit you need to learn how to network you need to learn how to build relationships very often what I would see when uh, you get approached on LinkedIn, via email, anywhere, and you don't have an immediate need to communicate with the person, you turn it down. You do not work on building the relationships in the space. And for university students, for young graduates who have a little bit of time before they find their um, first job, I would recommend to invest into networking and really building relationships in the industry, not just connect and not one sentence over a chat but having conversations asking people who are in the industry what are the most relevant skills how can i as a person who comes in with new ideas with um with my new understanding of the industry someone young how can i be most helpful to you as these things get the feedback if you hear from 10 people and usually we are super open to share our uh, opinion to give the advice 
you can understand what is the profile you need to build in order to land your dream job. And you build your CV based on that. Maybe you take a few courses, you read some books, and you will differentiate yourself from many thousands of applicants who are going to be applying who did not talk to people um, succeeding in the industry. Thank you. That is a brilliant bit of advice. Seriously, you know, it's um, that is genuinely passing it on. Um, and I appreciate that because I think it must be hugely daunting coming out of university. And I think that networking bit, um, but not just once, it is, it's carrying on that conversation, isn't it? And, and having a genuine curiosity. So thank you. Mm -hmm. Listen, you you've been amazing. And um, I've really, really enjoyed uh, speaking to you today. Um, thank you so much indeed. Thank you so much for having me. Honestly, time has just uh, blown. I felt like it was only 10 minutes. So thank you so much for, for your time. I can't wait.